Hey, you're listening to Rough Translation from NPR. A topic that you may have heard us come back to a few times on the show is how the conversation about race is different from place to place, just as the history of racism is different in different places. But it's interesting how so many of those conversations often seem to make reference to the United States, to the point where the expressions of identity and culture forged in America by American Black people have exerted such a gravitational pull in shaping how people around the globe see themselves and frame their own stories that it can sometimes make it hard for those of us inside the United States to hear the differences and the nuances in the Black experience across borders. And yet, arguably, it is those differences, those nuances, that will shape how these global conversations about race play out and shape our world over the next years. So we wanted to play an episode of a podcast that is set up to tune your ears to those international conversations a podcast other than this one. It is called The Stoop. It's from Radiotopia. On each episode, journalists Hana Baba and Leela Day dig into stories and conversations from across the Black diaspora. Leela is African-American. Hana is Sudanese. And in this episode, they are joined by Indigenous Australian journalist Rihanna Patrick to ask, what are all the things that start to shift when Indigenous Australians call themselves Black? Here's Leela and Hana to take it from here. Hey, Leela. Hey, Hana. So, Leela, over the years, we've had a lot of conversations about what it means to be Black. Uh-huh. Yeah, we have. We've explored the different shades of Black and how other communities understand their Blackness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked about a lot of communities. But, Leela, have you ever wondered why Indigenous Australians refer to themselves as Black? I mean, I would think they would. They're all shades of Black in Australia. Right. But do people there identify as Black? Huh. Oh, we gotta go down under to stoop this out. Let's do it. The Stoop. The Stoop. The Stoop. The Stoop. Stories from across the Black diaspora that we need to talk about. My cousins were water and grease girls, and I couldn't be a water and grease girl. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about, ballerina in the hood. We be Gullagichi United people. When a black woman walks up to the desk in labor, what preconceived notions do you have about her? I didn't even know we had a hair chart. Now, what is with the kookaburra sounds? Are we really going to be this stereotypical, this predictable? I know, I know. But I promise you, Leela, it will all make sense as soon as we dig into how Indigenous Australians understand and view their Blackness. We're going to let Rihanna explain. G'day. Although that's not actually a word I use. Leela <laughs> <laughs> Rosey, who's stereotypical now? What would you normally say if you were greeting us? Just hi. <laughs> hey, Rihanna. Welcome to The Stoop. Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, I'm Rihanna Patrick, and I'm a freelance Torres Strait Islander journalist and broadcaster in Brisbane, Australia. All right, Brisbane. Brisbane. And, I mean, Rihanna. 
I gotta call it how I see it. I mean, you are you are just as brown as us, and Indigenous Australian. So, black. Black. Well, let's get into this, like deep into this. Stereotypes and dingoes and crocodiles aside, I want to tell you something about that bird, the kookaburra. So for some Aboriginal people here, the kookaburra is a totem, something that connects them to the country where they're from, which is how we refer to place. So within this context that's now known as Australia. So we have many different countries in an Aboriginal way here, mm-hmm. which denote those boundaries within neighbouring clans and nations, but also how our bloodline connects us to that country too. Country and us are one of the same. Does that make sense? We don't separate ourselves from either. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think we get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now getting back to this kookaburra thing. Prior to this referendum that we had in 1967, Australians were asked to vote on whether Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders should be included in the national population census. And we were classed very much as fauna and flora. So we weren't seen as human and very much like the kookaburra, we were seen as animals or plants. Oh, what? This is, this is insane. You, you, flora and fauna, people. Yeah, and I can't believe this. It wasn't that long ago that 90% of Australians voted yes to include us as part of the population. So it's it's right. within just before my lifetime, but very much in the lifetime of my dad, for instance. Mhm. Hmm, that's crazy. You refer to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. What do you mean? Well, Australia is kind of unique in that we have two culturally different Indigenous peoples here, Aboriginal people, Mm -hmm. and then you have Torres Strait Islanders, which is where I'm from and where my connection is, who come from the islands between the tip of Australia, so that really pointy bit, Mm -hmm. and Papua New Guinea in the north. Mm. But if we get back to this question of why Indigenous Australians refer to themselves as black... What's the story there? Yeah, so this term seems to be quite controversial if you're outside of Australia, particularly if you're American. And I I think you guys should hear some of the responses from Twitter. Just because you've been there for a long time means you couldn't have origins elsewhere. The point I'm making is that black people are typically of African descent, and that term is being misused in Australia, in my opinion. Having dark skin doesn't make people black. There are dark-skinned Indians, but we don't say they're black. They're still Asian. Black is referring to people of African descent, and as Aboriginals are originally from Australia, how does that make them black? They're not black, though. Their genetics are completely different. You are mixed race, not black. They're not black. They're their own race, oceanic, Melanesian, slash Australoid. Okay, so, I mean, Americans, we are very particular about blackness and defining black, and we always talk about that here. Mm Mm-hmm, but... Rihanna, 
What got you thinking about the use of this term black and how it's used by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders? I must say, I know it goes deeper than your journalistic like inquiry here. Is this personal? Yeah, it is, I guess, a bit. I, I mean, I was sitting in a room. It all came about because I was sitting in a room with other Indigenous people at an international Indigenous music summit in Bulbancha, which is the Indigenous name for New Orleans, in Louisiana. Didn't know that. Did not News know to me. that. Did News you, Leela? I had no idea. Bulbancha. Okay. Sorry, Rihanna, go on. Well, it was at this moment I was aware that I needed to refer to myself as Indigenous rather than Black because the Black people in the room with me were referring to their Blackness in connection to their African identity. When I say I'm Black, it comes from a different place. So that's when I started to question the term and how Indigenous Australians use it. So this was the moment, I think, that I really went, huh, I need to I need to dig into this for my own understanding of why I use this word too. So it just, it started off this chain reaction, Leela. Mm, yeah, I, I find this fascinating. I mean, I'm super curious. I'm super, super curious about other perspectives on this and other Australians, right. if they call themselves Black and why and how. And I'm, I want to know. Yes. So Rihanna, who did you end up talking to about this? Well, Dr. Jackie Huggins is a Birigaba Juru historian. She's an author. She's an academic. She's also been a very big player in the reconciliation movement here, which has been about strengthening relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, kind of for the benefit of, you know, all Australians. And more recently, though, she's been involved in a steering um, of the state of Queensland towards a treaty with Indigenous Australians. And mm -hmm. it might surprise you to know that more than 250 years after the fact, Australia is the only Commonwealth country to have never signed a treaty with Indigenous people, unlike New Zealand, which is, as we say, just across the channel, uh, Canada or even the US. Hmm. What? This is insane. Are you telling me Australia has never signed one single treaty with any Indigenous folks on the continent? Correct. Correct. We're really far behind when you look. That sets it apart in a bad way. It does. And and when you look at those other, the history of those other nations that I've mentioned, those other countries, they were very quick to sign those treaties, whereas we're oh, very goodness. far behind in starting these conversations. I feel hmm. like I know where this is going, this episode. Rihanna, tell us more. Tell hmm. us more. Well, what does Dr. Huggins have to say about all this? Well, I asked Dr. Huggins about, you know, does she actually use the term black to identify herself? Yes, I do. Uh, quite often I, I say that I'm a, a black woman and, um, you know, I certainly use the term blackfellas all the time, Um and I use the term also, you know, with white fellas as well. Black fellas? What did she say, Rihanna? Black fellas. Black oh, okay. fellas. Black fellas. Okay. Run it together. Black fellas. Black fellas. Okay. But, you know, I know some people who have an issue with that and call us uh, Indigenous or First Nations. But um, for me, it's, uh, it's quite comfortable to use the term black when I'm f referring to myself and when others refer to me 
but we do know the difference when when they are using that term in a derogatory nature. Um, uh, but when it's um, when it says black to me, mostly it's very powerful. Was there a time where you actively started to call yourself black? I mean, what was that word like in the times that you grew up in? I mean, you grew up in a time when the government dictated the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It was a very different time. In the 1960s and 70s when I grew up, uh, that to me was um, uh, highly offensive, as it was to my mother, and she would never, ever use the term black people. Really? Mm. She always said uh, Aboriginal people. Um, And for me, I remember it was probably late in life, you know, in my 30s even, that uh, I started taking on the term black and the ownership of that. But, of course, you know, we've got to realise that we were heavily influenced uh, in the 1960s politically uh, by the civil rights movement in the US and um, aspects of the women's movement as well, even though they didn't include us in any shape or form. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of the... um, a lot of the call came from uh, the United States and we saw people then on TV proudly saying that they were black, they were black people. We thought, oh, well, yeah, probably good to take that on. But um, as I say, for me, it didn't come till later in the 70s where I felt really comfortable because I, I did think it was their term to use rather than ours and we just in those days called ourselves Aborigines. We didn't have any clan group names like I call myself these days, um, Bidjara and Birigabajuru. We had to find those terms through our history that was hidden from us. You know, people uh, put onto missions and reserves. Did your mum ever say why she didn't ever like that word black? It was stooped in the history uh, her history, because black in those days were, were the uh, way you described Aboriginal people, uh, particularly on missions and reserves, as um, those black ones there. And it was a real put down for them. So she never um, really came to the um, realisation that she would be ever comfortable with that term, black or blackfellas. And it was the way in which the colonial documents described us uh, as well, you know, the massacre um, reports, the um, uh, the way they put uh, on the removal um, papers from missions and reserves, from country towns to missions and reserves. Um, they said how many blacks were there and the blacks did this and, you know, if there was a murder, you know, uh, the blacks killed um, some station owners, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the way it was really uh, described, I would say, for my mother uh, from the 1920s to uh, right up until the 60s. But then even then, you know, when the 67 referendum came around, uh, she never described herself as black. It was a problematic term for her. That's so interesting because 
I guess it's these experiences that those that were born after that referendum and a referendum that really allowed us the freedom, it was the breaking down of a lot of those acts that had been put in place to govern our lives and to basically dictate to us what we could and couldn't do. So how then did she take you using that word when, as you say, you've got this influence of the African-American civil rights movement coming through um, and I guess the Aboriginal, I mean, would you say that the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community has been really um, influenced by that, those movements, but also that activism? Without a doubt, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been influenced by that activism and uh, the movements of um, Black America, particularly around um, the Black Panther movement. So, Rihanna, it sounds like you were learning a bit about Jackie during this chat with her. Yeah, I really was. And I can't imagine Aunty Jackie, and that's how I refer to her. It, it's a term of respect from me, but also a term... Auntie Jackie. Yeah, but also a term that she's allowed me to call her. Um, but I can't imagine her as a young rebel because I've always been in awe of just how diplomatic she is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so to hear her here talking about this more, her more radical days and how her mum didn't like the use of the word black was something I, I really didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess if you have little understanding of Australian history, Aboriginal people were forced onto missions, reserves, stations and it was here that their lives were overseen by these people called protectors um, who controlled every facet of their life and in the Torres Strait because that's obviously the experience that I come from we were confined to our island so we weren't dispossessed from our land but if you didn't do something that the government or the missionaries wanted or liked you could be exiled from your island and so when you understand that context I guess it helps in in understanding why Arnie Jackie's mum might not have ever liked using the word black to describe herself because it was negatively used during the time that she lived in. So Dr. Huggins talked about the Black Panther Party in Australia, specifically starting in Brisbane in the 1970s. I never knew that this party even had a presence there. Hannah, did you know this? I did not. Again, we're learning. (sighs) Yeah, and I think that's why I really wanted to kind of delve into this because I don't think people, particularly African-Americans outside of Australia, know the influence that they've had on us here and the and the way that African-American civil rights has influenced the way that we even politically have understood ourselves and we've learnt things from other groups like them um, and and they might not realise that we also had a freedom ride here in Australia which was led by the late Charles Perkins um, in 1965 and it wasn't just the civil rights movement that inspired Indigenous Australians. Um, even in the 1920s, Marcus Garvey had a huge impact here. Uh, these political movements were global. So then... How does the word black come into this? 
Well, I think it's really the British, uh, the ones that I guess perpetrated this idea during colonisation and this this notion of how much Indigenous blood we had in us when they were removing children as part of assimilation policies. And they were quite rife at the time. And so this understanding of how black you were and how black your blood was is very much a thing here. Hmm. Hmm. So to generalise, it was all a part of this dividing of people, the idea that if you were lighter, you were closer to whiteness, darker people were more discriminated against. Colourism was and still runs deep in Australia. So no wonder then the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders have tried to reclaim their blackness and unpack what it really means to be black after all these policies that tried to deny them their blackness. Yeah. So, Rihanna, how are younger Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders identifying and using the term black today? Well, on that, let's meet Aurora. I'm Aurora Little Christie. I'm born and raised in Mianjin, 24 years old, Jamaican Aranda heritage. So Mianjin is one of the original Indigenous names for what is known as Brisbane. So Mianjin is like what we would say here if we say we're on the land of the Shoshone people or acknowledging that the land we occupy is Indigenous territory. Yeah, exactly. And Aurora, a little bit more about Aurora, she's a multidisciplinary artist Her mother is Arunda from Central Australia and her dad is Jamaican um, but grew up in the UK. I've always referred to myself as black. My understanding of my blackness was always related to um, my different words like being Arunda, being Aboriginal or being African. I've come to use B-L-A-K to identify myself more recently as a kind of reclamation. So B-L-A-K, I feel, has been able to incorporate all of my identities in this kind of, in my own way, my own flavour of blackness. So when Aurora is saying that she's black, she's spelling it B-L-A-K. B-L-A-K. Yeah. So taking out the C. Yeah, but she spells it out. She's spelling spelling it out. Right. I am B-L-A-K. Yeah. Hmm. Look, I know it's slightly the emoji of the brain blowing off, and this is a mind-blown moment, but B-L-A-K is going to be a term we're going to dig into a little bit more, which is why we've spelt it out. Because if you're listening to this, it'll just sound the same. (laughs) Right, right. So let's get back to Aurora. Aurora's father is Jamaican. Her mother is Indigenous. Aurora is lighter skinned. So colorism is something she's been thinking a lot about when it comes to identifying as Black. I did a project a couple of years ago where a group of African Australians all got together and looked at this issue of colorism and our own experiences with it. We told our own stories and and within it, it was it was raw, it was confronting, and it f- 
because coming from my experience growing up was that, you know, I was trying to be as close to whiteness as possible. That was still my experience. So in my mind, I was black. (laughs) I'd never known any other experience, but coming into this space with um, people of that have darker complexion than me and have um, the same experience with perhaps more harsh um, consequences I ha- and, and also experiences where me as a mixed-race person has caused harm to their, to their experience. I had to interrogate what is my positioning of privilege, what is my blackness. The expression of, you know, our loudness, our joy, our need to, you know, dance, sing. We had to subdue that a lot in the places that we moved through. So to be able to look at other Black people with the same kind of expression that we experienced at home was we had to take what we could get, you know, have you ever had those conversations with your dad around whether he calls himself B-L-A-C-K and whether that's a term that he uses? My dad, he always referred to himself and and us as Black Hebrew. So, yeah, we were we always knew ourselves in relation to the motherland and the Black was to differentiate kind of the whitewashing of of history. Yeah, he he did often refer to himself as black. So it's it's just like understanding the way that I am positioned in the world, the perspective from which I see the world is um been informed by the black experience. Um it's the way I Dance, sing, laugh, love. (laughs) Yeah, it's the essence. You know, that blood conversation we'd had earlier about blood quantum and how much black we had in us, Mm. this is why BLAK sits well for her because she is fairer-skinned, even though she obviously has Jamaican, which means she's very much (laughs) BLACK. Mm. I hear it. I hear it. Go, Aurora. Yeah, so one of the things that really landed with me and what Aurora spoke about was this idea of essence. And I think she really nailed that of this, that that's the truest core of what black is for us. Mm. And, w- and how we understand it to be that, yes, it is about our indigeneity, but it is also this being, uh, this sense of belonging, this way. Um, and it's, it's very hard to put into English, I feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think someone who also has been sort of capturing that essence of what it is to be Indigenous or to be B-L-A-K is Daniel Browning. My name is Daniel Browning. And I'm coming to you live from the Art Gallery of New South Wales, which stands on Gadigal land. So Daniel is a Bundjalung journalist and broadcaster, and he's covered Indigenous arts for many years. 
So what did Daniel tell you about this term B-L-A-K and where it came from? Daniel points out it's very much a written thing because black sounds no different to black. Yeah. Now, there are other people who just think that's just silly and ridiculous and, like, why would you even do that? Like, But I think it's really important. I mean, it's not something I readily identify with, um, but I don't, I don't diminish anyone else's right to use it. Huh? He told me that this term was coined at an exhibition in the mid-90s by Indigenous visual artist Destiny Deacon. She wanted to drop the C in B-L-A-C-K because she'd been called a black C-U-N-T growing up. I love Destiny and I love her work and she's incredible and truly like one of the most important <clears throat> I mean, she's been, she's been to the Havana Biennale. Like, I mean, this woman has exhibited her work all over the world. She may even be known to some, some people listening. So I'm taking nothing away from her. It's just not a term that I yet use, but I'm noticing more people using it. And it seems to be a lot of younger people gravitating towards that word who don't know this history of where it comes from and that it's this, you know, to have something coined in the Indigenous visual arts space mm-hmm. that has then been taken by the broader community of people who don't work in that space yeah, or create in that space. It's it's fascinating, right? It's a it's a real um, transliteration. Like how how does a concept, a four letter word, become an idea that can t- can hold all these other things? It's bizarre. But it does, because I think these questions of identity are, they do obsess some people. We do, we have been forced, we have been forced as blackfellas to constantly ask ourselves who we are, to measure our own blood quantum, to explain our physical appearance, to... We've, we've endured insults and jibes and jokes and have been demoralised all on the basis of who we are, the things that we can't help. Huh? I can't help. My mum met my dad. <laughs> I can't undo that little, you know, I can't undo that spark of creation. I think, you know, we have been forced to be involved in this kind of... Um, I don't know what you want to call it, this kind of cultural production of trying to find out who we are and define ourselves for, since they got here. Like, we've, we had different names. You know what they used to call blackfellas when Captain Cook was passing in the coastline? Indians. Just what Columbus did, yeah? When he got to America, Indians. You know, their, their, the way they constructed the world was anything that wasn't Europe, essentially, was the Indies. So blacks had to be Indians. So we've just had this constant, like, adjustment to all these new terms. Black will stay, though, you know, because it, it is easy. It is quick. It is, says a lot. Not about skin colour, I don't think. But it is a very, very quick term. If you've got multi-clan heritage like most of us do and you know it, you can't really claim to just be one thing. So black still works. 
I'm sorry. It's just, it's just, it's good. But if we're talking about B-L-A-C-K, B-L-A-K, what do you think that future is going for? Do you think we're still interrogating what that is for us and what the use of our words are that might be very different to other places that have had a longer colonial history? Mm-hmm. I think you would struggle to persuade me that any other ethnic identity could be called black in the same way as we can be called black. You can't just take a term because you too came to this country and decide that you want that term. Well, no, you can't have it because we've got a history with that term. We own that term. And what you have to do, I think, is dissociate the term from meaning to having anything to do with skin colour. Like black is not just a colour or it's not even a colour, it's a shade. You know, it's, a, it's an identity. It's so much more than a colour. And, yeah, I, I don't, I'm looking at my skin now and it's, it's clearly not black. But only overseas have I actually been confronted with complete, like, people are stupefied. It's like... You know, if I describe myself as a black person to a white person, probably even to another, you know, a black person, they're like, what? What? Black? Just not, it's not skin colour. Black does it. So Rihanna, after hearing all of this, all the voices that we heard today, Hearing me and Leela's annoying questions to you and putting up with us. Wow. You're like, Okay, hey, Leela. What? So where where do you think you're landing? What will you call yourself? I found myself during this journey of switching back and forward. I understood what Aunty Jackie was talking about when it comes to the use of the word B-L-A-C-K. I got why Aurora talked about B-L-A-K as being more inclusive, particularly for her Arundel side, uh, and why young people are maybe gravitating towards this word. But I also understood Daniel's sort of laying out of why brown kind of isn't a word that we can use, that, you know, it's come to define multiculturalism here. So I think I'll probably stay with the term black, whether that's B-L-A-K or B-L-A-C-K, I'll use both. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But as a Torres Strait Islander, I think, yeah, Torres Strait Islander just as well fits who I am too. And regardless of whether most Australians know where it is or can spell it correctly. Hmm. So you're sticking to black. Oh, I'm always better in black. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Rihanna. Okay, we hear you. We hear you. And that's The Stoop. That is The Stoop. The Stoop is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX. The Stoop family includes producer Natalie Parrott, engineer Gabe Graben, art by Nima Iyer, social media by Summer Williams. And a special thanks, a big thanks to Australian journalist Rihanna Patrick. And thanks to the NPR Story Lab. Good day. No. Oh, man. 
No. Okay. Goodbye then. Goodbye. <laughs> ciao, ciao. That was an episode from The Stoop, a podcast from Radiotopia, hosted by Leela Day and Hannah Baba. This episode is called Reclaiming Black in Australia. You can hear more episodes from The Stoop on the podcast platform of your choice. Of course, you are listening to Rough Translation, which will be back with more episodes very soon, and I promise it will be worth the wait. In the meantime, you can send us your Rough Translation moments, your stories, and your feedback at roughtranslation at npr.org, or reach us on Twitter. We are at Roughly. Thank you.